Alice Onlin and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. episode of the Security Token Show. I'm your host, Herwick Konings, and joining me as always, of course, is Kyle Sondland. We're going to cover last week's industry news, STO and secondary market updates, and dive into our main topic for today, investor relations for security tokens. Hello, all of you beautiful listeners. Welcome back. But before we dive into anything, Herwig, I think as always, we like to start off the show by spotlighting two organizations with our Company of the Week awards. So without further ado, Let's jump right into it, Herwick. Who do you have for Company of the Week in episode 60? Well, I think active listeners on the show are going to start thinking that I have a formula for this, Kyle. But once again, my Company of the Week is a real estate tokenization platform. This time known as WeLand, developed by a Florida company called BeFind. So you see, I wholeheartedly believe that real estate tokenization is one of the mega trends of security tokens that will be adopted first. And that's because of fractional ownership and smart contracts truly bringing immediate value to a market that is fragmented and archaic to begin with. So whether it is shareable asset out of Singapore for episode 46, Tokai Tokyo out of Japan in episode 52, Max Crowdfund out of Germany episode 55, or even last week's episode with Mount X out of Mexico, all these real estate platforms won my company of the week because they are bringing tokenized real estate from around the world to the rest of the world, opening up real estate investment opportunities, sometimes as low uh, as little for as $100 to, to participate. So just like WeLand by BeFine is doing, by the way. So WeLand is slated to launch in Q2 of 2021 and is currently working with U.S. real estate owners to help them tokenize and prepare for listing on the WeLand marketplace for launch. So good luck to the BeFine team and welcome to the security token industry officially. We love real estate. That's just such an awesome use case. I'm really excited to see more real estate issuance platforms come out. And it will be interesting to see if from the secondary side, if we'll start to see a real estate exchange or someone trying to focus specifically on that real estate. Only time will tell. Only time will tell. Kyle, what about you? What have you got for us? So this week, the Singapore Exchange, SGX, wins my company of the week for completing its first digital bond issuance. Working with food distribution giant Olam International, SGX announced in a press release that it has successfully replicated a $400 million, 5.5 year public bond issuance and a follow on of $100 million from the same issuer. And they were using HSBC's on chain payment solution, as well as former security token show company of the week, digital assets, real estate issuance platform, Herbert, that you just mentioned. The release specifically notes key benefits of a digital security token bond issuance, such as immediate ISIN identification generation, the elimination of settlement risk for all parties, whether that's investors, that's the issuers themselves, that's the banks and intermediaries in between, or any of the other parties that are ancillary to the process, as well as a reduction in primary issuance settlement from five days to just under two days, as well as the automation of coupon and redemption payments, as well as registrar functionality. I mean, we're talking about automation of all these different processes, making it quicker and cheaper. And so obviously, who wouldn't want that? 
Lee Bang Hong, who is SGX's senior managing director and the head of their fixed income, currencies, and commodities division, said, quote, debt capital markets globally are characterized by deeply ingrained legacy systems and processes, which can be made faster, more accurate, and more efficient with this new technology. Distributed ledger technology and smart contracts are rapidly evolving technologies, and our vision is to fully digitize the end-to-end corporate bond. The efficiencies can be capitalized through an issuance of a bond on-chain, and it's just absolutely tremendous. This quote, again, just proves the same things that we've been saying over and over. All of these successful industry professionals see it. They understand how this is happening. And it's a no-brainer for investment banks worldwide to capitalize on all these efficiencies. So for those reasons, congratulations, SGX, for launching their first tokenized bond and proving this concept to the rest of the world. Fantastic choice, Kyle. Singapore continues to lead the world, especially Asia, when it comes to very institutional deals like this. I can only think of a few other transactions like the one that was done in, in France with the Central Bank of France and, and um, Societe Generale, mm-hmm. right? And there's a couple other great transactions here like the Cadence Bond and things like that with, with fat brands, right? But at the end of the day, this is a national exchange proving out with HSBC and a major, major issuer here, OLAM International, uh, in what is completely a digital and blockchain-based transaction. So natural choice, great stuff. Keep it up over there. No joke. And that means we can move into our news cycle. But before I do, I just want to remind all of you listeners that all our articles we cover on this show are sourced from stomarket.com slash news. And they're also available for reference in the about description of the podcast or on the Security Token Show Medium blog whenever you want to ever read these news uh, articles for yourself, of course. So kicking things off this week is one of my favorite companies in the entire security token industry, which is Figure or Provenance or both, if you will however you want to look at it. You see, if you aren't familiar with the company, Figure is the largest blockchain-originated HELOC lender, that's the home equity line of credit lender, in the entire world. You see, they've completed over $1 billion in, in HELOC loans origination now. And back in episode 35, Kyle gave them Company of the Week for doing the first ever securitization using the provenance blockchain they developed to power their loans. And this news was almost big enough once again this week to earn them my company in a week because last week Bloomberg revealed that Figure completed the largest HELOC securitization since the 08 crisis, roughly $308 million worth of HELOC loans in one pool, which was underwritten by Raymond James Financial Inc. and sponsored by Salud Grade. And this is exciting because securitization leads to so many benefits, especially when it's all on the blockchain. Not only is it more efficient, the CEO, Mike Cagney, says the full life cycle reduces up to 300 basis points in savings. So if you want to apply that to this bond, they would have saved almost $9 million to make this work compared to the traditional way, right? So that's a whole lot of dough, not to mention increased benefits and transparency and new security token investment strategies to come along with it. All in all, it's absolutely the future, and that's why Figure is already in the Unicorn Club today. Keep an eye on this company, folks. And he's from Philly, so go birds. <laughs> Yeah, seriously though, Mike, Cagney, keep up the great work. And security token blockchain entrant Tezos, who has partnered with Vertalo, BTG Pactual, T0, and others to power their security tokens, has officially settled with investors and agreed to pay $25 million in damages over unregistered securities violations brought up by investors in Tezos. So it is worth clarifying that as a result of settling, no judge opined on whether Tezos actually violated any securities laws or whether or not the Tezos coins are securities. 
Perhaps it's a smart move by Tezos to get any chance of an SEC investigation off their back, but it could possibly stoke more fires of other investors to come after Tezos or other blockchains given the success of this settlement here. And before we move on to company announcements, I want to highlight another big issue with DeFi again. So a couple of episodes ago on the show, I mentioned to you the, the YAM hack, which resulted in an unaudited fork of a DeFi protocol being hacked and losing $300 million over at that actually in staked crypto from the lenders who put it up. And this is just one of the many risks of DeFi. And now I want to share another one with you. Recently, another fork, this time of the Unicorn Protocol, coming by the name of SushiSwap, offering a new decentralized exchange for DeFi products and crypto products. And the problem here is that SushiSwap was founded by an anonymous user who told the world they were a good person despite not having any restrictions on their own tokens. And you could probably guess what happened next. SushiSwap grew enormously in a short amount of time, as everything seemingly does with DeFi, and now the founder has exited their position for roughly $13 million. That's a whole lot of fancy cars and homes. Sold the IP to someone else and claims to still be sticking to the protocol to add technical value, but as an individual and an anonymous contributor, right? So he still has, in all reality, the capability of disappearing, which he's already proven to be someone who is a duplicitous individual. So we'll see what happens. Unsurprisingly, the tokens fell by 90% in value shortly after. We've seen this before in crypto and even Charlie Lee of Litecoin founding fame did this, but at least he's a public figure, right? And he has a reputation to live with now. So me personally, Kyle, I avoid anything with anonymous founders and unaudited code. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> now let's get to an active industry that is forming the infrastructure of security tokens, starting with a million dollar investment from iFinex. That's Bitfinex's parent company which invested into security token protocol Dusk Network. So despite the pandemic, security token providers are still raising money, folks. And this time, the Netherlands tokenization platform has a strategic backer given iFinex's experience with crypto and operating marketplaces. So we'll see what kind of announcements follow this investment for Dusk here. And two-time company of the week winner Republic has said that the platform will also tokenize real estate, private equity, video game companies, and more given its successful Republic Note offering. And for those of you actively listening to the show will know that I've been saying this for weeks. In fact, this year alone, Republic acquired video game portal Fig and real estate portal Compound. And the caption, you know, the, the Captain Obvious, I should say, me had to be predicting that these offerings, of course, will be tokenized. And now it looks like they will be. So lots to keep on the lookout from Republic here, including another announcement they made last week, this time expanding their reach with Swiss-based security token firm Smart Valor. So Olga Feldemeyer, the CEO of Smart Valor, says, quote, through Republic Advisory Services, we open the door and welcome US investment into promising European and Asian digital assets and cryptocurrencies that will power our future. As regulation evolves and DeFi technology progresses, we finally see how we can truly make global IPOs happen while developing an active worldwide secondary market. So you heard that right. Smart Valor will distribute and work with Republic uh, for their offerings to across Europe and Asia, as well as build a secondary market. So I, that is truly exciting news to me. Let's hope that plan stays the course and we learn more about this over time. You know, this is the first that I think both of us are hearing about this. So great work, Republic and Smart Valor. Collaboration, I think, is going to be key to succeeding in this industry for sure. And leading Japanese investment bank and security token pioneer SBI has shared more news regarding their own security token exchange, which they have alluded to building for over six months now. 
So actually they plan on launching two different blockchain powered exchanges planned for locations in Kobe and Osaka with aims of building two new hubs that represent the future of finance. The only other thing we can learn from this update is that the plan is to launch by the end of the year. So that's really great news. And if that's the case, SBI, Godspeed and good luck. We'd love to see a security token exchange live in Japan, unless it's maybe Huobi or someone else who beats you to it. And the last company announcement is from another security token exchange, the most popular in the world, technically T0. You see T0 announces zero trading fees for specific registered digital securities. Now I do want to clarify that does not mean zero trading fees on all security tokens on T0. The reality is, is that the only the overstock token does not have trading fees, which are normally 1%, which is highly unusual, of course, for, for a, a publicly traded company, you know, very above market when it comes to pricing. T0 Op and Aspen, the only other two security tokens on the platform currently, what about them? Well, they of course still have their 1% trading fee. So what I'm really telling you is T0's announcement of zero trading commissions for registered digital securities should read as OSTKO is now zero trading commissions, but there's still a lot to, to read into that and it's still a big win because you can infer that future registered SEC offerings, those are publicly traded or registered offerings with the SEC, might also have no trading fees as well. Maybe there's another listing coming soon, who knows? Yeah, that one was interesting just because if listeners may remember, the T0 security token is a profit share based off of T0's trading fees. So, you know, we may have to look into the prospectus and figure out maybe is it just trading fees on the T0 token? I certainly interpreted it that it was the entire marketplace and those all of those fees were gonna go to token holders. Um, you know, I can't see how a token holder in T0 would be psyched about no trading fees. It just, it's, it's a great it's, point. It's something interesting to think o about. Overstock investors thrilled about no trading fees. <laughs> T0 investors, maybe not so much since that's what they get. And just for those of you who are curious, right, these private companies, how are they still trading in retail? Well, T0 up in Aspen, they use the rule 144A exemption. It's something that we cover actually extensively on episode 32 of the podcast on YouTube, where all the main topic segments, by the way, are available for you to listen to. Check that out for sure. And finally, moving into last week's resources and opinions, we're starting off with a nice piece of work I did with the Security Token Advisors team on tracking where security tokens have legally been defined by legislators and regulators. So first I wanna give a shout out, of course, to Omar Faridi for giving a great overview of the research on crowdfundinsider.com. And quickly I'll share with you all here the facts. So roughly 15 countries around the world have officially codified security tokens in some form, typically by assigning them the same rights, protections, and restrictions as traditional securities. Sometimes the legislators focused on financial tests similar to like the Howey test, or in other cases they focused on the governance and record of ownership, which would be allowed to be done say using the blockchain or distributed ledger technology, but still sometimes require an intermediary like a transfer agent or a central securities depository. So it's just that the blockchain becomes legally binding through those third parties, right? So in several countries are also in the works and the US being the largest one. Still being between regulators and legislators, it's tough though to anticipate what the ultimate definition will look like here. You know, while the countries are, you know, regulators like the SEC and such, they're currently focused on enforcing the current code which is the last highlight worth sharing, including the US, over 30 countries around the world already support the issuance of security tokens under the current securities framework in their country. That's obviously fantastic, but still misses the value of defining security tokens 
which Kyle and I also cover in detail on why that is so important in episode six of the show. So you can see we've been preaching the value of why it's important for over a year now. So check it out when you have a few minutes if you're curious. And next up, we have an article on the Financial Times talking about how programmable digital assets may change monetary policy using examples like stable coins, security tokens, and even hinting at the idea of a CBDC use case. So definitely also worth a read if you like looking macro at security token technology. And last but not least is an article on The National about how the pandemic is speeding up the digitization of financial services, which is, of course, the mega trend of security tokens and capital markets converging as we cover on this show. So again, another worthy read making the case for the need for fintech today more than ever. And that's all I have for you amazing listeners today. I hope you all enjoyed that new scoop. And now let's look to Kyle to tell us about some of the upcoming industry virtual events. Yay. So first off for the events, we've got Introducing Security Tokens, a Consult Hyperion webinar. And this is led by Consult Hyperion, and they invited the tokenizer, Norfico, and Securitize to conduct a webinar as part of their Tomorrow's Transactions series. And it's available for recap for you to enjoy. So the webinar features Jamie Finn from Securitize, Tim Richards from Consult Hyperion, and Christian T. Sorensen from The Tokenizer and Norfico. And between the three of these, the basic introduction into what security tokens are, or asset tokens, or digitized securities, you can use a couple different words there, and talking about what they really are, and how the options are likely to transform the financial sector as we know it. So definitely check out that panel. There's some high-quality speakers on it. We also have an event from iStocks, and this is on alternative lending and generating consistent income in a volatile world. And so Quentin Venokal and ZY Tan from Helicap Investments will discuss the opportunities in alternative lending as well as their approach to risk management. So they're going to be covering Helicap's proprietary risk scoring model and their technology as well as how it plays into the competitive advantage, allowing them to analyze potential investment opportunities and deliver risk-adjusted returns to investors. Definitely sounds like a, a much more financial structured conversation, maybe a little bit less about tokenization, but as you know, iStocks is a live security token exchange based out of Asia. And so that event is going to be on September 15th at 8 a.m. Eastern time or 8 p.m. Singapore time, depending on where you are. Very cool, lots of great events there. You can go check that first one out right away. I mean, September 15th, sounds like gonna be a great event. It's a little early, 8 a.m. East for those of you here in the U.S. Uh, but Kyle, what about our STO updates? Got anything for us? Yeah, so for the STO updates section, I wanted to highlight a case study that was published by Securitize, looking at one of their clients that we've covered on the show before, Curzio Research. Curzio Research is a financial media company led by CEO Frank Curzio, who conducted a multi-million dollar security token fundraise and used issuance platform Securitize to tokenize his company's equity as well as pay dividends on that. So the case study details some of the more nuanced bonuses that were offered to investors during the fundraise, as well as the marketing plan for the offering. But more specifically, it covers in detail about how the issuance was conducted and, and how that process works from the securitized perspective. So I think it's a fascinating read. It's pretty short. It's about 13 pages, and, and you know they styled it nicely. So it's pretty easy to read through. And it's definitely interesting to get a better idea of what an issuance platform's role is in this process. 
So if you're somebody that either works with a different issuance platform or you're interested in security tokens from more of that kind of regulatory technical side, I'd highly recommend you taking a look at this just to get a better idea about what they're doing. They have a lot of cool case studies as well as Securitize, so it's worth checking out some of the content that they've put out. Full disclosure, Curzio Research is a security token advisor's client. Absolutely. And so for our market update section, I have some very exciting news. And this is that Spice VC and Protos, which are two security tokens that are currently trading on open finance, have actually listed on a second exchange, Fusang Exchange, which is a licensed security token exchange based in Labuan, Malaysia, has partnered with Securitize to list the company's tokenized assets. Now, both Spice and Protos are listed on the exchange, which is very exciting, especially because we've covered interoperability a lot. So we're currently working with Fusang to get this trading data onto STM to better understand the demand and performance of these assets in the Asian market. But as I said, it's a totally, it's a great step forward for the industry. Over the past 60 episodes, Herwig and I have been preaching the values of interoperability, the idea that financial infrastructure companies must work in collaboration with each other to fully realize the success of the technology that we're building. And this is nothing new in the legacy financial system where so many different financial players work together to make this thing happen. It's just crucial for long-term adoption. So because of that, this is awesome news and congratulations to everyone involved. Hopefully we can see more assets get listed on Fusang and more assets get listed on more exchanges around the world so that more investors have access to these great deals. Also, we launched Security Token Markets August 2020 report covering the entire performance of the secondary market. And so you definitely should go and check out the full breakdown. It's pretty detailed and really dives into some of the numbers. But I do have some highlights to cover here on the show if you're interested. In terms of the closing security token market cap in August 2020, it was up 18% to 486 million. Now, if you've been listening to the show, you know that we actually peaked at a high of 600 million, which would have been crazy. But as we're going to cover later in my market segment, we'll talk about why maybe that's kind of depressed a little bit. But regardless, we're still up almost 20% just this month. That follows with the trading volume at 21.96 million in just the month of August, which is up 163%. And 21 million is absurd. I think we hit you know eight and then it was 12 and now it's 21. It's just insane how the volume just continues to increase regardless of the price and the market cap, the interest and the activity is really what we're seeing, a tremendous increase that's been maintained over the last you know eight months or so. Talking about exchanges, I think that this is nothing new, but we have one, two, three, we've got T0 leading again with the market cap of 427 million and then 21.8 million of the volume. So they have just about all of the assets in terms of by market cap and most of the trading volume. Open Finance still sitting in that 35 million range and only about 12 grand in trading volume in August. TokenSoft also has their tokenized equity, but it hasn't seen any trading activity this month. So they have about 16 million in market cap, but again, as I said, no volume. In terms of the winners and losers for this month, we've got T0 and Aspen Coin being the only two assets that actually performed in the black this month. Unfortunately, it was pretty bad for, for some of the other assets, but T0 was up 48.5%. So regardless of everything else, people are loving T0, both in terms of their price as well as the, the trading volumes. And then Aspen Coin is up about 6% from where it listed. Worst performing, we've got a couple pretty big losers. Lottery.com was down 44%. Protos was down 31%. And one of the realty properties, Marlowe Street, was down about 25%. But it's also after Marlowe specifically was up almost 30%, I think, the month before. So maybe it's kind of just evening out. 
That marks 21 live tokens tracked in August and more to come in the future. I think we've got 24 now that are on the site, but we didn't include their trading volume for the report since they were marked for September. So you can read about anything more about that in the description below as we covered, but I think that's a good transition into the first week of September. Now that we've got our market report out, we can look at, at how things are going. Unfortunately, the trend is continuing. The market cap's down 12% this month to 442 million from 503, which we had on the first day of September, and what might have been one of the worst weeks in security tokens secondary markets that we've seen. And so Overstock just really continues to drop. It's down almost 50% in the last two weeks which is actually mirroring the public stock. So don't get, don't feel that it's necessarily the security token space, but Overstock in general as a company, we saw Overstock security token rise at the same meteoric pace that the public company did. And at the same time as the public company really cools off, so has the security token. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. It has taken a serious bath, but that's just, that's just what we're seeing from that company. It is reacting a little bit stronger, I think, than what we're seeing from the public markets, but it's really you know, a variance of maybe 5%. So that's what you're gonna cover from the less, less than liquid market and maybe weaker demand, certainly more sell-side pressure from the overstock shares. You're gonna expect it to come down a little bit. But it wasn't the only one that really struggled. The real estate sector got hammered with six out of nine of the properties that we cover on security token market down heavy double digits this week. The average loss was around 12% after a few crazy price increases over the last month. Many are speculating that these assets are becoming very volatile because of the DeFi movement and the heavy demand from the Ethereum community that's pumping up all kinds of different things. They're also being traded on Uniswap. And as we're gonna cover in a second, Uniswap's had some issues in terms of liquidity when you know there's so many different assets, so many different trading pairs, and people are moving things from one side to another. So the, the volatile rise that we covered over the last month or two is a double-edged sword because as these things cool off, you see then it comes back down to earth. But these weren't the worst assets we saw this week. That award unfortunately goes to Mount Pelerin, which absolutely collapsed in the last week. The token, which represents equity in the Swiss-based issuance platform Mount Pelerin, is down 95% this week from $3.31 last week to just $0.16 cents as of market trading Monday. However, I think I actually may have confirmed that it's a liquidity issue from Uniswap and it's not actually sell-side pressure because we've recorded zero trading volume in the last week from these price decreases. So while the price has gone all the way down to 16 cents, there's no trading volume, which makes me think that it's probably Uniswap balancing out those, those prices incorrectly. And so I actually spoke with CEO Arnold Salomon of Mount Pelerin, who did confirm that they have opened new trading pairs with Uniswap. And so potentially all of the liquidity is gone for these earlier pairs. If you're following me, we're talking about some very advanced automated market making systems that are very hard to wrap your head around, but we're working on it and we're gonna get those new trading pairs live so we can get those real relative prices of Mount Pelerin. So I'll definitely keep you updated there. However, to end my segment on a positive note, there was a big token that was able to hold firm despite industry hysteria this week, and that was T0. The token sitting in the mid $6 range was up 2% this week, which relative to everything else is actually a pretty huge score. It's still doing almost a million dollars in trading volume per week and has overtaken the overstock security token in trading volume 
as well as observed investor interest. So it's great news to see that the token is still holding strong now that Aspen Coin has been listed. You know, T0's market cap is now at 134 million and the overstock token's around 200 million. So if the overstock token continues this pace and T0 can hold or potentially increase in value, we actually could see a flip on the leaderboards of these two assets with T0 leading once again. Interesting developments all around there. But following a crazy market update, I do think it's time to transition into our main topic. We're now starting to see more and more security tokens get listed on secondary markets and marketplaces, so it's probably time that we covered an episode on investor relations. Fully agree. This is a critical topic from my perspective, actually. When an issuer conducts a public security token offering, accepting investors from all over to invest digitally in you or your company, you know, transparency and communication are absolutely key. It's true, like as a private company, you do not have to have a lot of disclosure requirements other than what you outline in your offering. You don't need to report key events or submit quarterly audited financial statements. That's, of course, only for publicly traded and registered companies with the SEC. But think about it, folks. That's by design because the SEC wants public investors to be aware of things and served properly so that they can make the correct investment decisions. The same logic shouldn't be any different for security token issuers that are now, quote unquote, publicly facing, if you will. Totally, Herwig. I mean, just because you don't have to do it doesn't mean you shouldn't. Obviously, quarterly audited financial statements are expensive and time consuming and not needed for every issuer or asset type. So don't necessarily take this as we're advising you to copy the public disclosure model for your token. However, we believe that the ability to properly communicate with investors can and will have an effect on your token price and liquidity. Uh, yeah, right. I think that the mantra here is if you want to prove to the world you are a quality issuer with a quality asset to invest in, you need to do as much as you are able to properly communicate with investors. So Kyle, why don't you share with our listeners some of the things issuers and investors should look for in a strong investor relations program? So the first and foremost thing that I think is very important to communicate is how investors should attempt to value your investment. The more information you can share to guide investors into making an assessment, the better because you have less friction for them to have to do outside research and you can show that you care about offering a fair investment opportunity for everyone. You're not trying to hide anything, so you may as well be transparent about it. This means focusing on the asset fundamentals. Are there appraisals or audits you could reference? Are there comparable companies and benchmarks that are considered industry standard? How the issuer comes up with their valuation of the investment opportunity is critical to an investor being able to calculate their potential ROI and know whether they are going to get a good deal or if they're getting scammed. Well said, Kyle. I mean, I have to say, I think it's the most important thing to focus on, actually. So some examples are Blockchain Capital releasing their quarterly NAV report, which is how, you know, one of the ways you can calculate the value of funds portfolio, something we actually cover in detail in episode 52 of the show. It could also mean sharing key research or asset reports if you have a commodity like gold or real estate or could be pointing towards, you know, a previous financing round matched with KPIs and growth that are in line with other companies in the same industry. As you said, Kyle, anything an issuer can do to help educate the investor on how to value the investment is so, so important that I would go as far as to say without it, you're really just bringing a purely speculative offering to the market with nothing to back it up. Yeah, you absolutely would be. And to build trust with investors, the first thing you need to do is prove to them that you have a good investment opportunity from a financial perspective. But this financial layer is just one of the many layers of due diligence. Another is, of course, simply just updating your investors about the events that could affect the token. 
how much a company does press releases and updates, and also the quality and substance of those announcements will absolutely have an effect on trust again. As an investor, a company that is much more active when it comes to sharing information and team updates and, and showing that community is less risky than a company sharing little to no information, which makes it very difficult to price the assets or even trust that the issuer is going to update you in a timely and suitable manner regarding future key events. I think you nailed it with trust there, Kyle. You know, another great way to look at this trust model is you know, by the type of investor. So an institutional investor, for example, they have mandates and requirements for any investment they make, which may include audited financials or adhering to certain communication requirements for the issuer. An angel investor investing into an early stage startup likely does not have the same requirements as this institution, right? So everyone is different. If you want to attract certain types of investors like institutions to your token, you better be prepared to give them the world-class investor relations that they're looking for. Absolutely right, Herwig. Do you have any other aspects you think investors look for in an investor relations program? Certainly, I think community is another big one, right? It's the one thing to be forward-facing and very active. It's another to have a thriving community and social media behind you that shows that there are lots of other people engaged and that the company cares about hearing from you, opening ways for investors to communicate both with each other or even directly to the company to ask questions, right? Especially given that security tokens by nature are creating an entirely digital investment experience, I see that there's no reason the investor relations program can offer a digital community to go alongside it. Certain investors even take this into account and use it as a signal. So now it almost becomes required to reach a certain type of investor by having that active community and it creates that trust that they need in an issuer. They're giving you their hard-earned money after all. You may as well do something about it. Absolutely right. I mean, for any issuer, a well-thought-out investor's relations strategy, especially depending on who you want to reach as investors, is critical once you list a token on a secondary marketplace. It is so, so, so important for issuers to think about this and implement a strategy and process that investors can become comfortable with. Because as I mentioned in the beginning, public companies are at least required to adhere to some standard of investor relations, while private issuers of security tokens are not. So it's completely the wild west out here. Sometimes the exchanges or marketplaces may have guidelines themselves for the issuers to follow, but in the scenario of peer-to-peer -peer markets, it's all up to the issuer to offer a great investor relations program or one that leaves many investors with too much concern to want to invest. I love the way you said that. I think that just about sums it up, man. I think so, Kyle. Well, then I believe that that's a wrap for our show today. Thank you to everyone for tuning in to episode 60. That sounds good to say. And remember that you can find all of the news links and token information at stlmarket.com. And you can catch all of our previous episodes and main topic segments as a, a, its own separate video. All of that on YouTube. And please also feel free to reach out to us with feedback, questions. We're on social media or you can engage with us directly on stomarket.com slash news. As I mentioned earlier, you can submit comments, news articles yourself. It's all there. But thanks again for listening. And I hope to catch you next week on Tuesday.